0: What I'll share is our practices were not as inclusive as they could have been. And we did need to hire, I don't know, roughly like 400 people in the time that we were doing this. And so we were like, okay, we need referrals. We know referrals are the place we're gonna get talent. So we said, awesome, let's do a referral drive. And we did the referral drive. And my boss at the time told us anyone who's not at a top 10 university on business insiders list, take them out.
1: Wait, so I'm sorry. Exactly, a referral drive. I'm sorry, like you hear about these things in articles and all of this, and I'm just like, no, that that real.
0: What? And also just to mention the business insiders list, it takes things into consideration, like what kind of meals are served? What are the dorm halls like? Like it's not industry specific. It's not course load specific. It's not expertise specific. And so we would have these discussions and we're like, okay, well, you know, you asked for a referral. We've already cut so many of the referrals. You want to do another drive. Nobody wants to contribute you didn't even call the people that they recommended last time you know like why would they want to send someone else what are you going to tell them you were good enough to be here but none of your referrals are like that doesn't make sense you know and then we weren't recruiting at local schools we weren't going to stevens which was up the street our chief security officer was a stevens grad and we weren't recruiting there like there were all of these little pieces and i found myself sitting where i'm like i represent my employee resource group and I wanna represent their interests. But then I also work on the recruiting team and we're talking about strategies that don't actually benefit my group, but you want me to liaise with them to get referrals so you can try to like pick out the 10% of those maybe that are good enough for you based on criteria that doesn't tell you anything about a person's success in the role. She wanted us to collect SAT scores. And at that point I started looking for a new job.
1: Mi gente, dímelo. What up, what up? Welcome to another episode of the Kien Tu podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know, it's your boy Pavel bringing you another special episode with another very special guest. Now, the clip you just heard in the intro is with this week's guest, Victoria. Before we get into the full episode, I wanna give you a little bit of background on Victoria. So Victoria and I actually used to work together while we were both at Facebook. Let me share a little bit more about her, though. Victoria is a first generation Puerto Rican and Honduran Latina living as a transplant on the West Coast and pursuing her ancestors dreams of thriving in corporate America. She's been described as a fierce champion connector and an advocate for underserved communities. Currently, she serves as a global diversity, equity and inclusion project manager at Facebook. Victoria has spent the bulk of her career focused on scaling teams and programs aimed at hiring and developing diverse talent. Everywhere from promising startups with just 10 employees to companies operating at scale at 50,000 plus employees. Most often, she can be found at the nearest local coffee shop, spending time exploring nature with her partner and dogs, or deep conditioning her crown of curls. With that said, let's get into the episode all right dope let's do this uh all right so let's start off with the same question I always start off with you know when people tell you to be your authentic self or when you hear the word authenticity what comes to mind for you
0: yeah I've been thinking about this a lot since we last spoke and listening to some of the podcasts you've done and just hearing back it's like I want something original (laughs) but it also has to be true and so what does it feel like to me and I I think for me, it's about belonging to yourself more than anyone else. You know, as Latinos, we play roles for everybody. I mean, you're a sister, mother, you know, partner before you're anything for yourself in most of our families and our cases. And then we come into the workplace and it's like, oh, and also you're these seven other roles and a champion for Latino culture on whatever team you sit on because you're the one and the only. And so I think there's a, a trap that we fall into when we first get into the workforce where we kind of forget that we are allowed to belong to ourselves first.
1: hundred percent. I mean, at home, I'm still my mom's translator. I'm still my mom's like, uh, it person. I still set up her, I set up her Facebook profile the other day. It's just like so many roles that we have to play.
0: Exactly. Right. They're like, well, I, this isn't working. Why not? I'm like, honestly, I just unplugged it and plugged it back in. I'm not, <laughs> I don't know what happened. Like you could have done this. <laughs>
1: I actually hate when I go to IT. Well, used to go to IT, and then I I felt like my mom because they would tell me so often. It was like, "Did you restart your computer?" And I was like, <laughs> "No." And then automatically it fixed it. I've never felt yeah. so old.
0: Oh, I always get. Have you updated it? And I'm like, probably <laughs> not. I'm gonna say no, <laughs> like every time.
1: That's so funny. Uh, wait. So tell me about tell me some tell me about those roles that you played like really early on. Like, um, like with even like within the household some of those other yeah. experiences?
0: Well, I'm the oldest. So there's always, I think, the added pressure of being the oldest in your family. Um, and I'm first generation on my mom's side, which is something that I think was like very clear to me from the beginning of, you're gonna go to college, you'll have a specific path. And so I remember my mom saying like, oh, you used to tell us you wanted to be a lawyer, which I can't imagine ever wanting to be a lawyer, but I think I just knew it was like a job parents were proud of. And so I'm like, that's the job that I'm going to grow up and have at some point. But it wasn't a passion. It was just like a good immigrant daughter, right? Comes here, gets one of the five jobs that you're told exist in the world. And like you go and you do that thing of doctor or lawyer or maybe policeman. but there weren't, God, I didn't even know diversity and inclusion was an organization you could work on. I didn't know project managers existed as a role. And so. Yeah, I mean, from a you're the first generation in your family. Immediately, it's like pick something of success so everyone can be really proud of you. So I think there's like the pressure from that. You also are meant to set the example while helping raise your siblings, right? Because it's a village. Um, I would, I wasn't allowed to be a part of after school activities because I had to pick my brother and sister up from their after school activities, <laughs> and so it was like I had to be home by a certain time. So I could go and meet them when they finished middle school and elementary school. Um, So the concept of like taking on all of these roles, I think comes really early when you're first generation, especially in Latino families.
1: Did anyone tell you that, Hey, I think you should be a lawyer. Like that's like, I would be proud of you if you were a lawyer. Did you just like take that on yourself? Like, where did that come from?
0: Yeah. Well, so my dad, to share a little bit about my parents' background, which I think says a lot about kind of my ideals for success. My dad was the first in his family to go beyond even a bachelor's degree. My father got his specialization in chiropractic care. So he's a doctor and he's also a fireman. So, you know, we never stop working. We have like six jobs. So my father works two different jobs, but it was very clear to me, like you study, you work hard, you're meant to go to college and then do these next programs. Um, my mom I think was such a clear example of a lifelong lifelong learner because she started, Going back to school, and I was, I don't know, maybe in high school, maybe eighth grade. It might have been the year like right before I went into my freshman year of high school. Um, and she just started to get her bachelor's then. And then by the time that I was in college, my mom was getting her like second master's degree, like, <laughs> and was continuing from there. And so I knew education was important, and I knew that jobs attached to a great deal of education and complexity were the kind of jobs that we were meant to aspire towards. That I think was a clear picture for me in my household
1: very interesting didn't know that yeah i mean those are some dope examples to grow up with i mean you hear a lot of this like first generation stories it's 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 not that story that you hear often right it's like they give up so much of where they come from and then they come here and sort of like struggle but education really like helps set your family apart i'm sure
0: Yeah, I mean, so my dad was second generation, which I do think is a key difference. But even if, so like I went to Rutgers University and while I wanted to go out of state, I knew I needed to be close to home. So it's like, I wanna have the experience of going away for college, but I need to be home on the weekends to help out. So I wanted to go somewhere close enough and I was living in New Jersey. My dad also started his bachelor's degree at Rutgers and he actually left. And when we talked more about why, the culture and the racism that he felt being at that school at that point in time in his career and being Latino, he couldn't handle it. And he ended up transferring and going to Montclair state so that he could come somewhere closer to home where the body of the students would be more diverse. And so like even those kinds of pieces, right? Like, yes, my dad was first generation himself and had more opportunity. He made very clear to me from a young age, just because you have some opportunity doesn't mean that all of those doors are going to be open for you. And you're always going to need to really prove yourself in your space.
1: Wow. And what were some of those experiences like? Did he share?
0: Well, I mean, so for my father, I know there was a lot about even in his own family, I think sometimes issues with like, are you a real doctor? If you're a chiropractor, which like, do we ask those same questions of white, you know, doctors in the world who are chiropractors? Are you like a real doctor at this point? I don't know. Um, and I know that he would talk to me about his guidance counselors and just the lack of direction, which I, I felt when I was at Rutgers, I felt it in high school. I had um, a high school guidance counselor who wanted me to take home Ec, which was in my high school traditionally where all of the pregnant moms were. That was like the class that they would take. What so is Ec? It is like cooking and like- <laughs> this is a real Wait, class, that, That's still a, happens, that's a co- still that's a happens course? in high school. I, yes. I, I, so I, wanna, like,
1: I wish I signed up for that.
0: This was only people who were pregnant, and of course, like, not of course, sadly, mostly we're Latina, and so then we'd be like, you know, fall into this, well, you're Latina, you're probably going to get pregnant, let's put you in this class, and my mom was like, absolutely not, you were not going to put her in that class. And then when I went to apply for college, my guidance counselor told me, Actually, you should save your money and don't apply to the four year colleges. Apply to community college. You know, after two years at community college, you can transfer. You're probably not gonna get into Rutgers. You don't want this the application fee was like sixty-five dollars. Like let's just to be really clear, like save my money so that I don't have this like terrible thing. I ended up going to school there. I got into every school I applied to, but it's like know there are people who are going to look at us and make different assumptions about what we're capable of i was really lucky to have parents that could step in and say you're actually not going to set her limitation there
1: that must have been i could imagine like if my mom told me that at a young at a young age i would have been like mom you don't know what you're talking about that was in your day like my day's different things are different now like what what was that (laughs) well yeah for sure but like when he gave you that advice, where you just like, like, how did you take that? And then also, then when you experienced it, was that a whole nother reaction?
0: I mean, I can remember experiencing microaggressions or racism from when I was a very really small child, and I know I've, again, I've listened to a lot of the podcasts you've done, and a lot of women talk about this. But I think there is such a, an importance to talking about our hair that mm-hmm. it is worth underscoring. Like, I was in maybe fifth grade when I was asked, like. So will your hair stay straight until you wash it? Because I had straightened my hair for picture day because you know, we all do. And and so then I was like, oh, well, yeah, until I wash it, it'll be straight. She's like, so your hair's just dirty every day that you come to school otherwise. I was only in elementary school. Like to be so young and to start hearing that about yourself and you're like, okay, you're starting to internalize some of those things. I can remember my mom, if you met my mother, just to caveat, She looks like a senator's wife in that my mom is always classy, dressed to the nines, like always hair in perfect place. We're not the same in this. I'm like (laughs) most often in a t-shirt, but she's just very classy and elegant. And we would go in stores and be followed. And it's like, what about my mother and the way she carries herself makes you assume that she's stealing? And my mom, you know, thankfully, I got to experience a woman who called people out for that and would ask directly, are you following me? I'm a card member at this store. I shop here every like." you know, she wasn't afraid to call that out, but I experienced it. We went, when I was in high school and we looked for jewelry, I remember being in a store and they followed us and we, I really wanted something from that store. But my mom was like, no, like if people treat us like that, we don't contribute to their business. You know, if people make those assumptions, we're not going to be shopping there. And in the inverse, they also taught me a lot about how to show up, which has a benefit and a curse right so that i could assimilate into different places and people weren't going to call me out for certain things my dad was fairly clear of like you're not going to wear ripped jeans there's not going to be holes in your clothes i don't care Mm -hmm. if that's in style like (laughs) you're going to look a certain way when you show up places my mom grammar like was ingrained in me as a child you don't i don't call my mom ma that would like not have flown in my house at all that is your mom talk to her in a certain way but it was really clear to me like hey the world's going to be very hard you're seeing it firsthand even as a small child right you do start to pick up on those things of like things are different for me than they probably should be and then also they were like here are some of the things I think they're going to help you and while some of those practices I think now might feel outdated to me Mm -hmm. because I'm no longer in a place I have the privilege of not needing to assimilate in every room I'm in which my mom didn't have. You know, that wasn't a privilege afforded to my parents and their generation and and what they were trying to accomplish at the time that they were trying to accomplish it.
1: Yeah, that reminds me so much of my grandfather. He I mean, I say this all the time, but like he used to go to his friend's house for a drink like on the weekends. Right. Like on a Friday. And it was like an apartment. It was like four people max, just a bunch of bros getting some drinks. You know what I mean? And he would go in a full on suit with like a top hat like feather in there and like dress to the nine like to your point right like like he's running for office or something right mm-hmm. and, I, and i would always wonder i'm like why are you doing that and he would always tell me you know not exactly like this but long story short is like he wanted to present a certain image of himself so that people don't automatically judge his character you know what i mean and he always mm-hmm. he always ingrained this idea of like people's perceptions of you is like the first thing that they see is that that's how they're gonna judge you. And he will often tell me, not necessarily ripped jeans, but you know, for guys, you know, I was into hip hop. So he'd be like, do you see CEOs wearing rags? Do you see presidents wearing rags? No. Do you see them sagging their pants? Do you see them wearing X, Y, and Z? And he'd be like, no. Tattoos, don't you dare. Earrings, yeah. don't you dare. So like all of those things. Um, but to your point, like he was doing that because he felt the need to assimilate for so long. And now like I'm in a privileged space where like I may not need to assimilate as much. Have you had that conversation with your mom as well, as far as like why she was dressing that way? It's oh.
0: interesting. A phrase I heard a lot growing up was dress for the job you want. Like that yeah. was that was kind of the way that my parents gave that message. Right. And so then I yeah. that made sense to me to a point. I worked out of college at a trading firm. Everything's very mm-hmm. hierarchical. Right. I had dressed in a dress suit every day, heels, makeup done. I remember i used to wear in the winter i just started working in new york like leggings underneath my pants because i was too cold and i didn't i wasn't used to like being outside all day long in new jersey we drive everywhere and so i my boss came in the bathroom one day and i guess she could see i was like changing something underneath where it was open and when it came out she was like what are you doing which also like did you need to ask me <laughs> in the bathroom like, be why are you looking
1: like, under the stall yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah and I was like oh, I'm, I'm really cold so i wear leggings like to keep myself warm she's like it's really strange don't change in here <laughs> i was like oh okay like i need to be a very it was a very corporate my boss used to make grown men cry and anyone who had to give her bad news was like really nervous and anxious and like did not wanna to have to deliver that to her. So it was very, very tense, like go and work for her and have that experience. But I had to be again, like dress the nine, you represent the company, like you need to do things a certain way. I hated it, that job. I was there for one year. And at the end of the year, I think I was calling my mom probably every week crying, I'm like, Mom, I hate my job. My boss is terrible. Like everything is terrible. And she was like, finally, Honey, when I ask you about your job, I don't care about your work. I'm actually asking about how many jobs you've applied to. Like you need to find another job. But me, I was like, first job out of college. I wanted to be a success. I wanted to prove I can make it in the city and do all these things. And so I started working from there at a startup firm. And it was only 10 people. And so I went from suits every single day, heels, makeup done, to wear a t-shirt. I don't even care. <laughs> Here's your laptop. Just get the work done. Like no no one cares what you look like here. Yeah, and yeah. then I went to my next startup after that and it was the same thing and except more like people were totally themselves and owning it. And so now my mom would say to me when I would come home from work and I'm visiting her and I'm wearing a t-shirt, she'd be like, honey, dress for the job you want. I'm like, I am. It's an engineer. Like (laughs) that is the job I want. (laughs) Which is like a fun way of that conversation happening, you know?
1: Yeah. my, My mom thinks like my job's a joke. She was like, there's no way you have a real job dressing like that. And then she she oh. sees uh she sees the CEO on um on like TV. It was like, is your boss wearing flip flops on TV? And I'm just yeah, <laughs> it's hilarious.
0: Yeah, I mean, my mom came into the office in both companies that like I've worked at that were major tech firms, and she walks around and she's just like, it doesn't look like you're working. You're all just on the computer. Like, what <laughs> are you doing? She's like, the I don't. Want, everything is built. Like, what? You, there's just like such a gap, you know. <laughs> Like, what a work! I mean, even in the role I'm in now, I don't necessarily recommend everybody job hops every one to two years, but it's been a great benefit to me in my career because I've had such a wide scope of just the different kinds of projects and aspects that I've touched. For my mom, that is terrifying. And every time that I've come home and said I got a new job, like, while you think your parents are going to be excited, my mom's like, what was wrong with your last job? you're always doing this. Like, (laughs) just put your head down, keep one job, Victoria. You don't need to keep switching. They're gonna think that. (laughs) Like, who's gonna think? (laughs) I don't understand. This is a benefit. I got a better job. And it's just, it doesn't make sense to them. You know, they're like, that's not, for them to stay in one job and me job hopping, it doesn't make sense. And like, I've had such cool experience because I've been able to work this way. And that's, I mean, probably something my mom and I won't see eye to eye on immediately, but eventually might make more sense.
1: Oh, my mom is the same way. Like I recently told her that I'm gonna switch jobs. And uh, yeah, her her whole thing is about like the idea of loyalty and like she stayed at the same job for like 20 years. And then I was like, all right, mom, well like how much increases did they give you pay-wise every year? They was like, oh, you know, couple here and there. Like some years she didn't even get a pay raise. You know what I mean? Like you can only increase your salary a certain amount, but for them it's just like, they value more safety in a lot of ways. like. I don't, like in some ways our parents are very risky right like they've come to a brand new country left everything they know but like once they're here in a lot of ways they're like oh now I gotta play it safe at least that's how like a lot of people in my family were so yeah I tell her the same thing and she just like thinks I'm crazy
0: I, I feel like there's a lot of like put your head down and just don't mm-hmm. fuck it up like <laughs> yeah. you know like I feel like that's there's a lot of that we're lucky to be here sentiment that happens in our community and it's interesting I sit on kind of like a let's say volunteer, because it's certainly not what I'm paid for, but a volunteer committee that focuses on Latin careers in the workplace. And we talk about like, hey, what are we doing to really help fill the gaps for our community? You know, I took a certification course yesterday. We're talking about organizational theory. Like, I've never heard of these things before. And, and yet everyone else in that room was like, yes, organizational theory. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the next thing on this list. I'm like, I don't even have this kind of training to be coming into it, but sorry, I just got lost in that thought because I thought about the certification course. So where are we just going down?
1: Um, oh, man. Uh, being risky, our parents being risky, and, oh, our but parents. they're okay. playing so, it. Yeah.
0: So there's this idea, right? That they come here, they do risk it all. But then we're like, we can't lose this opportunity. We, we got yeah. this. We should be so lucky. And then I sit on this careers committee and it's interesting because you would think, Oh, well, all of these people are already pretty far in their career. We must certainly know our worth certainly be comfortable saying that we belong here. Like, certainly all of us know that we're not lucky to be here. But when the pandemic hit, the immediate conversation in that room was, I feel so lucky. I feel so lucky to be here. I'm so lucky I still have a job. I'm so lucky. And I'm like, I wanna challenge all of us for a minute. Why? You know, at a time where there's such a focus on diverse talent, because that is the way that you build the best products, hands down, all the other warm, fuzzy, this is amazing, incredible work aside, this is how you build the best products like that is what is most important and then we look at just what is happening throughout these organizations it's just we're not I don't know it's it's like we're not ready as an organization because we're saying diversity is important and I think it is I think everybody cares about this but when we actually say what do people need where are the gaps how can we lean in right we often end up in this place of like don't you have enough Like, we already gave you all these things and you have this job and you have these resources. Can't you find them yourself? Like, can't you figure this out on your own? And so we then are like, oh man, I'm lucky to be here. I just have to figure this out and catch up to everybody else. But this is an important time for D&I. So how many companies are all trying to hire diverse talent Are like, I need to have a diverse workforce to produce this product, but aren't ready to talk about inclusion, aren't ready to make sure that. We have the support in place for those people, so that when I come to this job, I don't feel lucky necessarily to be here. Sure, I, I'm glad I'm here. I love this company, but I want to feel like actually this company is pretty lucky to have me. Look at this incredible mm-hmm. skill set I bring. Look at all of this talent. Look at the resources, and now I can take what they've given me and go exponentially farther. But we're like still in this space of I know what I need, but I don't want to ask for it because I'm lucky to be here. And the company, even though DNI is important. You know, they're also kind of saying I'm lucky to be here, and that we're not ready to talk about both. And you can't have diversity without inclusion; it will fall apart just every single time.
1: Hundred percent. Yeah. That was work in a way I can
0: say. <laughs> I'm like, how do I say that big, overwhelming thing? But it's just, if you don't have inclusion, people can't be themselves, and then what is the point of having a diverse workforce in the first place?
1: Hundred percent. I mean, diversity is obviously the first step, right? It's just getting the foot in the door for those individuals. But once you're there, it's it's rough. It is not easy. Um, I'd love to hear about your experience as well. Speaking about inclusion, like even that first job you mentioned, like even at a young age, you struggle with um, identity and authenticity. Something as um, as natural as your hair, right? Like going into that first job, what was that experience like? in you wanting to be yourself, within then you know, dealing with like societal norms of professionalism.
0: Yeah. Ooh, well, what I can share <laughs> sure is well. I, <laughs> <I'm> like <laughs> that's a big one. When I when I met my partner, um I was seventeen and he Shout thought out I Bay. was Italian. Yeah. <laughs> he thought I was Italian because I had red hair. It was straight every single day. You know, I have freckles, like I speak, and this is something that we've talked about. He's like, you spoke English so well. I'm like, there's a little bias that I'm hearing (laughs) in that sentence. But you know, like he didn't, he didn't even know that I was Latino. He hadn't seen my curly hair, even when we first started dating. So then going into a first job, you know, you hear, and we're raised this way, every special event, where are you? If you're a girl, you're at the Dominican hair salon, they're putting Mm -hmm. your hair in rollers, then they're blowing it out. Like which is an interesting thing in itself when you think about the place of culture that the hair salon is, but you end up sort of erasing part of that culture in the process. And so you're raised on this, like, if you want to look good for a special event or look professional or look, et cetera, right, you straighten your hair. And so when I got into my first job and I was definitely straightening my hair, you're like, thinking about, okay, what do other people watch? Not to mention everyone was older than me and white. So I had no idea what references they were talking about. And we would go to lunch and like, I don't know what anyone is even saying right now. I don't <laughs> I don't know what show that is. I'm gonna be honest with you. I've never watched Seinfeld, not one episode. I, I don't know anything about that show. Older white people at my job love that show. And they <laughs> talk about it all the time. They're like, remember that episode on Seinfeld? I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and the I'm more not gonna lie. It, it doesn't become more clear.
1: <laughs> I I love Seinfeld. That's one show I actually I actually really love. But but I get it though. There are there are certain things, especially those lunches where you're just like trying to join on a conversation, but you can't. I, I, yeah, I get it.
0: <laughs> well, and then it was interesting. I went from that to a um, a startup. We were like, I think I was employee 150 when I joined that company, and I stayed through an acquisition with through going to over 2000 people. And so I saw us trying to build culture and wanting to be inclusive, because we're a startup. Um, And so we had employee resource groups, but we didn't know how to use them. So we were an e-commerce platform. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: one of the things that got raised was like, hey, you have all your Spanish food listed as Mexican. Like. That's not factual (laughs) These are not all Mexican cooking ingredients. They are from other cultures in the diaspora as well. And so like, then there was an opportunity. Okay, how can we come in and bring this feedback to the business and actually say, hey, we took a look and here's some of the things that we're finding and they were like, all right, help us find more things, which was great. But you also run the risk of becoming like, you know, the token, we take it to this group and you tell us how it's gonna land with all of your community. And we're like, okay, well, we're a subset of a really large diaspora of what the Latin community actually includes, so we can give you some advice, some perspective, but we can't give 100% of what employees might feel. And then for me, I played a very interesting role because I was launching the employee resource groups with one of our coworkers. And so it's this space where you're trying to give everyone else room to talk and to be inclusive and share, but you need to be very aligned to leadership. And so there can be like a very big disconnect and for me this came to head when i was doing university recruiting what i'll share is our practices were not as inclusive as they could have been and we did need to hire i don't know roughly like 400 people in the time that we were doing this and so we were like okay we need referrals we know referrals are the place we're going to get talent so we said awesome let's do a referral drive and we did the referral drive and my boss at the time Told us anyone who's not at a top 10 university on Business Insiders list, take them out. And so Wait, like, so
1: I'm sorry. Exactly. I'm sorry. A referral just, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, you hear about these things in articles and all of this, and I'm just like, no, They're that real. isn't
0: They're that, real. What? And also just to mention the business insiders list, it takes things into consideration, like what kind of meals are served? What are the dorm halls like? Like it's not industry specific, it's not course load specific, it's not expertise specific. And so we would have these discussions and we're like, okay, well, you know, you asked for a referral, we've already cut so many of the referrals. You wanna do another drive, nobody wants to contribute because you didn't even call the people that they recommended last time. You know, like why would they want to send someone else? What are you gonna tell them? You were good enough to be here, but none of your referrals are. Like that doesn't make sense, you know? And then we weren't recruiting at local schools. We weren't going to Stevens, which was up the street. Our chief security officer was a Stevens grad and we weren't recruiting there. Like there were all of these little pieces and I found myself sitting where I'm like, I represent my employee resource group and I wanna represent their interests. But then I also work on the recruiting team and we're talking about strategies that don't actually benefit my group, but you want me to liaise with them to get referrals so you can try to like, pick out the 10% of those maybe that are good enough for you based on criteria that doesn't tell you anything about a person's success in the role. She wanted us to collect SAT scores. And at that point, I started looking for a new job. Because they're, they're really, when we say SAT scores, right, like it's actually, let's weed out more of the people who didn't have access, right? Because you're already gone through four years of college, your SAT score shouldn't matter, for people who are in socioeconomically poor situations, not just Latinos, anyone who is socioeconomically in a bad space, you're not taking the SAT seven times with a prep course and waiting until you get, right? Like you have a waiver, you get to take it once, maybe twice, you didn't take a prep course. If you did well enough to get into that school, you're probably much smarter than your counterparts who had tons of prep. Like (laughs) the idea that we would use that to delineate talent, to me, is an example of how we continue systemic racism in some of our practices without being able to pinpoint like that's exactly what's happening
1: yeah 100 thank you for sharing that and it's crazy too because so much pressure i believe is placed on recruiting and the recruiting org and hr but what people don't realize is that i mean in that in that same example like you're handcuffed right it's like you're given these like very strict you gave them an ocean full of talent and then they were like no let's let's shrink this down based on this criteria that doesn't make any sense And it's so interesting oh go for it
0: sorry i was just gonna say even to that point like i shared earlier i picked my college based on how i could be closest to my family which i assume a lot of latinos do right we're not Mm -hmm. looking at just, I mean, yeah, we want to go to good schools, but if it's nowhere near our family members, we probably didn't go there. It doesn't mean we weren't good enough. It doesn't mean we're not yeah. as talented or as bright. It just means that we had different priorities than maybe our other you know, classmates did.
1: Yeah, I have, I have a bunch of friends that, I mean, you, it sounds like you did that on your own. You made that decision, not on your own, but you willingly were like, I want to do this. I have a lot of friends that, um, especially women, like their family tells them that they cannot go away to school. And in many ways, sort of like push them to make that decision for them. Not that they couldn't go. Um, they, they're certainly qualified, but they feel that pressure to stay home just for um, for family as well. So yeah, I've definitely heard those stories.
0: I mean, I just moved across the country and my grandparents, even up to the day before we were leaving, were like, I don't think it's a good idea. Just, <laughs> I think you should just stay here. You don't mm-hmm. want to go there. I'm like, I mean, the, the box is packed. Like we're going <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> You know, but there is like an idea that you don't leave your family and you stay close to your family in case they need you in our community.
1: Yeah. I think I think what's also what's also just like is driving me crazy in my head right now is the fact that organizations in that example, right? Instead of hiring a product manager from a diverse background or product managers from diverse backgrounds that can, that they can tap into and say, Hey, look at our product catalog and like do an audit and say like, what's wrong with this? They put on extra work on an employee like you, that's already doing extra work. That's leading ERG to now be a product manager and you're not even getting paid for it. You know what I mean? Like
0: that is ridiculous. Like talk about Right. Yeah. The double tax that we play that we end up paying being Latinos that are successful. It's like I do think I will say in my role, I have the luxury and the benefit of being able to focus on DNI. Like that is a hundred percent of what pays me to do. And I love that that is the case. I on top of that still volunteer my time to work on things that are community specific. And I have been told like do you need to be doing all that? And I think in some rooms people are like, give it to someone else. But I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm on this committee, no one else is raising their hand. And if it has to be me that raises my hand again, so that seven other people know they're allowed to raise their hand after me, then I will do that for now. Like if I have to make people slightly uncomfortable, my manager often says I'm provocative <laughs> with the kinds of questions that I like to ask. But I'm like, I, I need to make somebody uncomfortable asking these questions, doing these things, taking on this opportunity so that the next person's not uncomfortable. So that they feel like, oh yeah, of course I have a seat at this table. Like, of course I get to ask these questions. And so then we get stuck in, do I fight for someone else to do this or do I pave the way for somebody else after me to be able to do this in a firm, like specific role rather than being double taxed in the same capacity. Um, It's interesting. I'm, I'm a big believer that like leadership is about the doors you open after you for other people and not about the one you've opened for yourself. So that's at least something I've taken on and I know I've taken on it as a double
1: tax. Fuck. God. It's so true. And I'm sorry. I'm just like, I'm like almost getting emotional because like <laughs> I've, I've, I've felt that double tax before. But I mean, also you're just dropping so many bars right now. Um, it's. Yeah, it's, it's. You know yeah, sorry. Go for it. For me?
0: No, no, sorry. I'll just share. I, I can remember when I was at i was trying really hard to build the dni function out with other coworkers. it wasn't 100 on me but we were startups that wasn't the priority what they did let us do was go to functions and like hey go and learn what the best practices are bring them back and i remember being at a conference i think i've told you this story before and it, it is something as simple as hair but it makes such a difference the woman on stage had beautiful curly hair i want to assume she was dominican just because of how gorgeous her curls were and i feel like typically dominican women have this like beautiful head of hair but Just beautiful. And she was sharing about like, hey, I used to get really fucked up haircuts because I would show them what's in the magazine and they would do it. And then I would wash my hair later and look crazy because that's not what curly hair looks like. And I thought, wow, not only is she on the stage in her hair, but she's talking about it and talking about the disservice that society has done us by not providing examples of representation in our culture. And that was such an aha moment for me of like, I don't need to be changing the lives of every single person but I can do small things that maybe are uncomfortable for me. Like I happen to hate public speaking, but I do it quite often (laughs) because that's gonna give somebody else the room to say like, oh, I could do that. Like that could be me, I could do that. I could do something even bigger than that. You know, I I didn't have those examples for myself. And so it was really important to me that once I found them that I also took on the responsibility of emulating that for other people. We used to um, bring students in from local schools to office in New York and we would do whole roundtables with them. And it would be people who look like them, talking to them about these yeah. roles and here are the things that we do. And one of the directors for the school actually pulled me aside after one of the sessions and she thanked me for wearing my hair curly while I talked to the students. She's yeah. like, they don't see anyone that looks like them. Like these moments that for yeah. us, right, maybe at the end of my day, I don't wanna spend an hour and a half <laughs> you know, with kids who are in high school and teaching them extra things when I'm tired and I wanna go home. But I don't know what I could inspire somebody in that room to do that would be so much bigger than anything that I have accomplished on my own as
1: myself. And how did, how did you get to that point from those early years, like growing up to even that first job experience to like where you are now, where I cringe when you said the word provocative, but where you are, you know, this this confident person that you are now. Like, was it one moment for you that stood out? I
0: mean, I don't think it was one I will say, I think there are inciting events that happen in everyone's life that flip a switch for you and you see things differently.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: I do think I've always tried to live with those kinds of things and morals and, like, hey, I'm going to stand up for people and this is going to be important to me. But when rubber hits the road, you know, what do you actually do? What impact do you have? And I cannot just speak up for myself. I need to be a catalyst for my community. Like, that has to be the way that I'm entering rooms. And while I have been told I shouldn't necessarily take this approach. Typically in my job, what I do is I say to myself, if something is off and I want to ask about it, do I think asking about it will get me fired? And if I think it will get me fired, I will probably rethink how I want to ask that question. It doesn't mean I'm not going to ask it, but I need to think deeply about how I want to approach it. But if the worst that happens is someone is like, that was too much, or you can't ask that, or we don't have the answer, I'm going to ask the question. And everyone in the room might be a little bit uncomfortable, but I was a little bit uncomfortable when I first entered all of those rooms, and I have adapted. And I think that we can ask the same of our colleagues as they interact with us, and we show up as our authentic selves and own this space, you know? Even in that year, the manager I had, I remember her asking me, we were having a big conversation about inclusion and diversity and my experience, and why does this matter? And she was like, and she's an incredibly supportive, one of the best managers I've ever had. She looks like a model. She's tall, she has beautiful long flowing red hair. She dresses excellent. All of her shoes are gorgeous. And so we're sitting and we're talking and she's like, do you really feel like you have a different experience here? Like here specifically than I do. And I appreciate that she asked me the question because she asked it really wanting to understand like what are the real differences? And I was like, do you ever walk in a room and you're the only one just ever? She's like, no. I don't, I was like, that's just for me to sit at the same table as you, let alone for me to disagree with you. Like Mm -hmm. that is my experience. If I can, I can boil it down just to that for you. When I look around, people don't look like me. And sometimes even when they do, they don't speak up for me and for my community. And so like, how do we start doing that more and more over time? Again, I think it's something I was always taught. I think my mom really agreed to me you help out others. You look out for others and either, we take every opportunity to move ourselves forward or we're wasting time, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And yeah, like you can't control other people's perception of you. Like you can dress up like your mom, like you're running for Congress, right? And people will still have a certain perception of you, but all you can I mean, control <laughs> is is how you show up, right?
0: Yeah. I was just, I was, I'm laughing because I think about when I was in high school and in elementary school, my mom, was the person who dressed me more like here's what you're gonna wear oh, yeah. and my friends at uh, my I remember one friend specifically would ask me or tell me like you dress white like why do you dress like that like you dress white and or you talk white like which was very interesting for me and, and I was gonna
1: ask about that
0: Oh my goodness. I mean, so one, the dress white. I'm like, did I miss some kind of sign outside the mall that said like, no spics or like, what what are you all talking about dress white? Like you all own a certain store or like, what is the concept here? I don't like, it just didn't make sense to me. It does now, obviously, but as a child, this is my clothes. Like, this is what my mom bought. What do you mean? Like, what's wrong with this? And then speaking white, I mean, that's just the part that's like deeply, deeply offensive, right? Is the like meme or the idea that we're not intelligent enough to speak the English that Americans speak. <laughs> and I'm like saying that very specifically because even English in this country is so poor at times. And then we think about like, <laughs> I mean, I've worked jobs where people tell me to my face, your English is so good. Like, <laughs> like, well, it's the only language I speak. So I hope so. <laughs>
1: Yeah. It's like they like if, if you don't speak like Sofia Vergara, then in modern family exactly. they're just like
0: <laughs> everyone's image on. of what Latinos sound like.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. And how how have you gotten over it? I mean, you probably still get some of that to this day, right? Like people are surprised about like quote unquote, Oh my gosh, she's so well spoken.
0: Mm-hmm. That's it's an interesting one. I will say the well spoken piece. I've learned that people underestimate me. And I like to think that I use that to my advantage. What I do think is interesting and gives me pause is when I come into a new role and people are blown away. And I don't mean that to compliment myself, but I know my own gaps. And so I'm like, I know I'm good at my job. I wouldn't say I'm at mastery, right? I think you need a certain number of years of experience and practice before you can say mastery. So when I come into a new space and people are like, this is amazing there is a part of me that still wonders amazing or amazing for me. Like Mm. when you say that, what do you mean it with like, are you still surprised because I can put words together or or is it, this is actually amazing work because I've grown up hearing, you know, you speak really great English or like you're so well-spoken or, and then the flip side of that is like the provocative piece, which I know you're like, I cringed a little earlier. I mean, I recall I had a manager and I was leading a body of work for my team. And it's one of these things where like multiple pro teams might be working on the same project but it's a little bit different depending on each team because there are nuances but we wanted to standardize some more of what we were doing and i'm sitting in this meeting this person is clearly trying to own the work like it's very important to them that they're going to own all of this work i don't care who owns the work i care that it gets done so we're sitting on this call and he's like i think we should meet every week for an hour and i was like sorry <laughs> What do we want to meet about in that hour every week? It's like, oh, just to check in on X, Y, and Z. And it's like, okay, can we maybe have a standing meeting that we agree will cancel if we don't have an agenda? Like my team is behind on their goals. We have all these projects. We just can't commit to a weekly meeting that has no agenda. Just like that. It's not, I don't mean it to be offensive. It's just, this is what I can, can and cannot commit my team to doing. And we left that meeting. I thought it was a fine meeting. My manager pulls me aside during happy hour that day. And she's like, I got to talk to you. So I said, like, "What's going on?" So she's like, "I got some feedback on you today." And I was like, "Okay." Like, oh, what did you hear? She goes, "I heard that you were being really aggressive in the meeting." And I was like, "I'm." You heard what? And she's like, "Yeah, I heard that you were being really aggressive. You didn't want to collaborate. You didn't want to be a teammate. All these things." And I'm just like trying to. First off, I was still trying to figure out what meeting she's talking about because in my mind, like everything was fine that day. So I'm like, "What? Like, what meeting did I tell somebody off? Like, <laughs> I can't remember." <laughs> And so she tells me which meeting, and I was so surprised. So it's like, I'm sorry, they used the word aggressive? Like, that was the word that they used? I want to be specific. She was like, yeah. And I was like, I'm five foot two. <laughs> like, are you physically intimidated by me? Like, you know, I'm the first person in this office every morning. I say good morning to everyone. I bring in baked treats every other week. I say good night when I leave the office. I always offer to help what about me was aggressive in that conversation and if my white male counterpart had said the same thing i can't attend a meeting that doesn't have an agenda weekly for one hour would that have been aggressive or would have been sensical like (laughs) that's yeah that that makes sense what was more painful for me is the person who gave the feedback was a person of color and that hurt me in a different way i felt like I already know that white people often use this word to describe us and there's bias attached, but hearing a person of color call me aggressive as feedback to my manager, not that they gave me, right? But went to my manager about, it's like, that's, that doesn't sit well with me. And so I, I had to leave that day. Honestly, I was not in the space to like have a conversation. I was like, I'm gonna go home, come back tomorrow. And I pulled the guy aside and I was like, one, hey, I, I thought we had a good relationship. And so I wanted to clarify a couple things. Like, here's what I heard in feedback yesterday i wanted to talk about the word you used aggressive very specifically and i want to talk about why you felt the need to go to my manager and after we had this long conversation i mean at one point he was like very emotional and apologetic and like a hundred percent i shouldn't use that word i won't use that word again so on and so forth i I hear that word used to describe people of color specifically women of color all the time and i still have to say like i wouldn't use that word (laughs) to describe that person and i work in a space where we're supposed to be aware of these things you know But it was, it was just very, very interesting to sit in that room and hear that and then have that conversation with him. I thought it ended there. We came to a good place. And then months later, I was up for scope increase. So not like an actual job change, but I was gonna take on additional work to lead that I had really already been doing. I think you know this already. (laughs) Everything is lagging, right? Like you've already been doing it and then you get the title. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I was already leading this work. I interviewed for this role. And at the end of my final interview, the person was like, hundred percent, we're going to give this scope to you. I hadn't mapped a plan for the half. Here's how I'm going to mentor everyone in this program. Here's what's going to happen for them. Here's what we're going to deliver. I came around the next week and they announced someone else wow. and I was shocked. And so I went back to that person and I was like, Hey, can you give me some feedback? And she's like, you really should talk to your manager. So I talked to my manager who left the company like a week later. But she tells me, well, you know, I wasn't sure you were ready for this kind of leadership, given some of the feedback that we've gotten around how you can be aggressive. And I was so taken back because I, it was months later and it's something that I resolved that like was brought to my attention. I talked through, it was resolved, we felt better about it. So I was like, can you tell me like, and this is my, I should clarify, my manager Skip now, who's giving me this feedback. And so I'm like, can you clarify when you got that feedback? about me. And she's like, well, I don't want to give specifics away, which is like, I already know what we're specifically talking about here. We might as well have a honest and frank conversation. (laughs) Like you're not hiding details. And so she basically was just like, yeah, I heard that you were aggressive in this meeting. And I was like, I want to be the employee that sits in front of you and takes the feedback in and just like implements it tomorrow. And she's like, yeah, so do that. I was like, but I fundamentally disagree with what you're saying to me right now because I don't know myself to be an aggressive human being. And the situation that you're referring to, I've worked through with my colleagues. So if there are other instances that you can think of that we should discuss, I'm happy to do that. But I would really appreciate if people stopped using the word aggressive to define me. I think it's really hard to counter. Like you can't even argue for yourself without almost like making that true about yourself because you chose to defend. And so it was. Just an interesting moment for me to be at the company we're at. This is the best place I've ever been in terms of experience Mm. as a diverse person. But to so clearly, like, you know, see the through line of what happens when we use words like aggressive or provocative to describe Latin women and how that can follow you in your career, not even just in the one moment where that is happening.
1: Yeah. No, it it is wild because it's not just about that one incident, which to your point, like you resolved and had a whole conversation about like, it stuck with you all the way and affected the bag. You know what I mean? Um, Yes. (laughs) It's wild too. Like I've been labeled as aggressive as well at Facebook. I can't
0: even imagine you as an aggressive person.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yo, the crazy part is, was that they were like, I I was in like a team meeting pretty much. Like we were like going back after a meeting and like the team was being aggressive with me. I was like, yeah, but then like my comeback was like the aggressive part, whatever, <laughs> anyway. Um,
0: We're not allowed crazy. to react, don't you know yeah. that?
1: But it's crazy too, cuz like aggressive, well, that whole like calendar thing that you did, right? Like a white male counterpart, that would have been like, ooh, I love how Chad is ruthlessly mm-hmm. prioritizing. But like we Business get the labels-
0: strategic, look at him. yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> not afraid to challenge the status quo. <laughs>
1: yeah 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 he he would
0: have got promoted off of that right like a male counter would have been like that person knows how to prioritize and get shit done but when we do it it's like god don't you want to use a softer tone when you (laughs) like do i have to i don't I, i don't consider myself to be aggressive i think i can be very direct and i'm not afraid to ask hard questions but again we reward other people in the business for those same characteristics
1: yeah no i agree um and i know we're almost at time so i'll wrap up with this final question um as you look forward you know as you continue this journey what's one thing that continues to empower and inspire you to continue being your most authentic self
0: yeah Hmm. i mean i think it comes back to what we were talking about earlier and what it means to really cast shadows for people behind you and open doors for other people and that is like what really pushes me through uncomfortable moments and asking the hard questions, even if I don't know exactly what the outcome might be for me to ask those hard questions. But I want the answers to be available to people after me. You know, I meet with, or talk to, I see meet with sounds like such a business term, but I talk to my little cousin and she's in high school and thinking about computers and wants to build her own and talking about coding and worlds that didn't exist for me when I was her age, definitely didn't exist for her dad when he was her age and that keeps me going. You know, how do I give that opportunity to the next generation or group of people?